This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Good news. A lawsuit has just been filed against California for its insane ban on singing and chanting inside churches and other places of worship during the coronavirus shutdown. The bad news is that Governor Gavin Newsom's most recent order this week has shut down churches again for an indefinite period of time. Indefinite. Several pastors have already said they will not comply. The Washington Examiner reported that one Russian Orthodox archbishop has written a letter to Governor Newsom saying that the state's strictures on religious services, especially those about singing, are open discrimination reminiscent of the era of godless persecutions in the USSR. After all, the leftist mobs on California streets face no such restrictions. And now another pastor in Fresno says he's organizing a protest against Governor Newsom. How Will California's pastors lead their sheep during this unprecedented set of circumstances and government tyranny? We're going to get some thoughts on it all today from Shane Eidelman, founder and lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in Lancaster, California, and now Leona Valley. He's also out with a new book, If My People, in case of national emergency, read this. Shane, so good to have you with us again. How are you? Well, it's great to be here. And as you know, we just picked up your program uh, on our radio network here. And just I'm just loving it because now is the time we need good information, solid information on what's going on. Oh, man, thank you so much, Shane. It's been great to join you, and I'm just honored that you would put the broadcast on your stations. It's just such a great thing for us and for, you know, just being feeling honored that we're able to be a part of your ministry as well. You know, I wanted to ask you some of your thoughts on what it's like to pastor in the state of California right now. It just seems like you guys are taking one hit after another. Well, I can even add to that. We're in Los Angeles County. Uh, if you can believe that. Oh, God so, bless you. Um, you know what? Yeah, I, I mean, I've got so much I could share, but I know I just want to keep it simple. Um, and it, it's it's a couple of things. It's, it's, it's extremely difficult and frustrating and challenging and draining. However, it does lead to a closer walk with God if you surrender every day. I mean, I just, I was up this morning at four just praying, okay, Lord, we need to hear from you. Mm-hmm. We need direction. And so on one hand, yes, it's very challenging. But on the other hand, we see... Uh, a lot of amazing fruit and God working in a lot of incredible ways. And I, I do want to let people know that, you know, I know of no pastors, you know, just closing the church. Okay, we're done. What we're doing is uh, we're not closing, we're changing the battlefield. Uh, we can still do outside gatherings. And many churches are saying, hey, I don't care. We're still going to meet inside. And that's, that's fine, too. I think we need to be given a lot of grace right now. Uh, we just found out, I mean, pastors in general, we just found out on Monday. So on one hand, people want us to re- react and say, hey, you know, defy the government, who cares? But then you throw out seeking godly counsel. You throw out, you know, what does God's word say about submitting to authorities? However, we have to submit to God's word as the greater authority. So we also have to be strategic. I don't see the early church. I don't see the persecuted church saying, hey, by the way, we're meeting Friday at 5 a.m. at this address. Come get us. 
You know, there's so yeah. there's a, there's not a ta- there's not a taunting either. I think uh, the, I I know no pastors closing down. However, for example, this this might unfold. I just found out an hour ago. We might actually be able to use our local uh, AAA baseball stadium on Sunday mornings. Oh, Can wow. you imagine that? Good. Being able to being able to reach out to the community, um, uh, have friends and family invite. It seats four thousand. You know, so it, so we're, we're we're trying to be strategic, and uh, it is hard because you've got some people saying, "Well, you're you're cowards if you don't open the doors, and you shouldn't let the government do this." And and I don't know if that's the right answer right now. Uh, I I have pastor friends that are going to stay in their building. Uh, we're in the process of evaluating that. We we just found out Monday, so we haven't made any concrete decisions. But rest assured, we are not allowing the governor to tell us how to do church, where to do church, when to do church. Uh, but we are being strategic in what we're doing and seeking godly counsel through through Christian attorneys. And I don't know if you you saw this, but this is not a recommendation. This is actually a mandate. Yeah. Um, so you will you will break the law, which is fine. I told my wife before we talked about it, we could go to I could go to jail, you know. But then now you're putting your employees at risk. You're putting your volunteers at risk. Not only that, uh, what the attorney said, which we have a huge following on social media they could technically shut you down. So is, is that the right approach to shake our fist and just go in guns blazing? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I just, my whole point was, I think that you need to, people need to give pastors a lot more grace and, and give us some time to sort through all the different dynamics taking place. Well, right, exactly. There is a lot to sort through, I can imagine, because you have lots of people, I'm sure, in your own church who have differing opinions, right? Some people saying, open oh. up, stay up, and other people saying, no, you'll kill grandma, don't open up. What, I mean, how do yeah, you, how do you uh, deal with that? It's amazing. Well, what I do is I listen to both sides. Um, I try not to re- react in, in anger um, or react being sarcastic because you you know that 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 is that does come up inside of you when somebody says, "How can you open?" It's and then we know the statistics on the virus. We know it's it's the, the death rate is minimal. We know that the numbers are being skewed. We know that the governor is using it as a political weapon. I believe to get mail-in ballots. We we know all this. So. I, I think what I do is I listen, I try to see where they're coming from, uh, because people have lost family members and, and friends to this. But I try not to just, you know, uh, react. I just listen to them and just, okay, what do we need to do as a church? And then you have the other people, you know, that, 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 that are just, you know, I can't believe you just won't just open the doors and we got to just defy the governor and we got to, you know, so I think that heart is also kind of in a bad spot because it's a very hard heart often. Uh, it's a hearted, you know, just, just go get them. But I'm with you. I, I see it. We're not bowing down to the government. We are actually trying to be very strategic in what we're doing. And I think most pastors are doing that as well. We're, we're fed up. We're not, we know that this is blown out of proportion, but we also want to use wisdom in this area. Well, you have to. You know, the singing ban is so insane. I'm glad to see that there is going to be some legal action on this because when it comes down to it, these attorneys have pointed out that this is OSHA guidance. And OSHA guidance is not the same thing as a law that prevents you from singing and chanting inside of your church. This is just guidance. There are no penalties attached to it. And more than that, OSHA doesn't even have any jurisdiction to tell churches not to sing. How have you handled that? Have you curtailed singing or what's going on in your church in that regard? Well, 
I, th- this could get me in trouble, but that was in one year and out the last, the, 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 in one year and out the next. We just said, you've got to be kidding me. End of story. Yeah, good. I mean, that, that shouldn't even be given, uh, that shouldn't even be given a discussion or a platform. Right. It's so ridiculous. So yeah, no, we didn't even, we didn't even consider it. It's it just, it's just ludicrous. So that's also what we have to do is because we have to obey God's word, which God's word says is actually to obey the authorities. But then when the authorities now are going against God's word, we have a higher authority, and that being God's word. Right. But exactly. then people would say, well, how is the closing on Sunday any different? And I think it's, there's a big difference because the church isn't four walls with air conditioning on and, and padded seats. The church is where we meet as believers. So if we just have to change the battlefield for a season— you know, meet outside. The weather's great. I don't. I don't really see how, you know, that's capitulating. Uh, but where you know, don't sing, don't worship. Uh, to me, that's that's not quite on the same scale. Level. Yeah, it makes sense because if you can move it to a stadium or you can move to some other place where, like you said, believers can still continue to gather and worship the Lord, then you're still having church, as it were, even if you're not inside your building. My question is, right. I, I've and, sort of been wondering about this here in Texas. We have no occupancy limits. You know, churches are giving exception, given exceptions for meeting there. You know, no crackdown on the church in the state of Texas. But I see some churches self-oppressing. The way, that's the way I'm putting it. That I don't understand. Why would you willingly close your church because some people are scared? Those people can live stream. Those people can stay home. But why keep believers who aren't scared from going to church and being in person and fellowshipping and worshiping together? Well, I don't know in your in your area in particular, but what what's happening in our area with that that same situation is these are actually liberal churches. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they are they are in the fear factor mode. They're listening. To, I believe they're led by the wrong spirit, uh, and um, they're capitulating. They're just they're just totally caving in. And I also think that God is using this to really divide, you know, the sheep to from the goat, as it were, or the the genuine from the the from the fake, and the, the those who really hold to God's word and have sincere faith from those who question God's word in the inerrancy of scripture. So yeah, Shane, hang on right there. That is a great point. We'll hold it over as we go to a break. Shane Eidelman with us. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today after this. This is Janet Mefford, and we're partnering with Bible League International on Fan the Flame Bibles for Asia. Our shared goal is to send 1,200 Bibles from the Janet Mefford listening family to our brothers and sisters in Christ in Asia. In this region of the world, Bibles are scarce for many reasons, including the remoteness of where people live. In the Philippines, church planters and evangelists trained by using resources from Bible League International travel many hours by car, boat, and by foot to lead Bible studies in remote places of the country. Let's send them the Bibles they need in order to share Christ and to see lives transformed for His glory. You can join other Janet Mefford listeners by sending a Bible for $5 or $15 for $75. Just call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Just look for Fan the Flame, Bibles for Asia. And God bless you for caring. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. 
Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. Welcome back. A lot is going on in the state of California. As we know, there's been a lawsuit filed now from some churches against the state over this ban on singing and ban on chanting, or I guess it would be reciting the Lord's Prayer or whatnot inside Christian churches. And, you know, it's gotten insane. Now they have extended this shutdown of churches uh, along with other entities, but for an indefinite period of time. And there are a lot of Christians in California now who are saying, oh, forget this. I mean, how long do we have to put up with this? Shane, Eidelman is with us, who is founder and lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship. You know, Shane, you were talking about the fact that for some of these churches in other states like Texas who are self-oppressing, that's just my language, where they're saying, yeah, we're going to shut down even though nobody's making us, just makes me scratch my head. But you have pointed out, and I think you're you're right about this, a lot of the churches who are willing to self-oppress are the liberal ones. It's it's the ones who really love, I, I, I hate to be mean, but it's the ones who are really holding to God's word and love getting together and worship worshiping him and and hearing the word preached every Sunday that seemed to be more on the side of fighting to stay open. You know, this is maybe a winnowing time, right? When The way you're looking at it. Absolutely. Because remember, a liberal church, I uh, mean, we can explain, are those who don't really look at the inerrancy of scripture. They say things like, well, I, I think Paul was trying to say this, or I don't, I don't think really Peter meant this. And we're not sure if Jesus really did all this. And so they don't have a passion to worship God and, and really seek Him and serve Him and fellowship and worship. It, it, it's really something they're, they're doing because they have to, not because they want to. So I think for them, this is a wonderful opportunity to sit back and possibly, I, don't th- I think you're going to see a lot of churches not open again, personally. Wow. Um, but, but yeah, that's what you're, you're seeing right now is those who, you know, many of us are looking for any way we can open and be the church, but at the same time, not drawing undue attention to yourself. I mean, why, why would you, even though I, I could get arrested, why would I want to shake my fist in the governor's, you know, face? You know, why, why would you, you don't see that in the Bible. You don't see to be antagonistic. You see to be bold and to stand up for your faith, but also to be very strategic and wise in what you're doing. So, yes, I believe this is a dividing line. Those of us fighting for truth, going to worship, going to see God, and those who really are not on God's side. Well, you touched on the times in which we're living and we are coming up to an election not too long from now. And and every Christian I've talked to has expressed the same opinion. Boy, there's a political motivation here because if you can have leftist mobs swarming the streets of California, but the churches have to stay shut, that would be a really good way to keep the churches from gathering together and talking and planning and strategizing about voting come November uh, what do you make of that? Do you think that that's part of the plan here? Well, I do, and I also think that there, there's a big push for mail-in voting. Sure. And uh, I don't know if you saw, but the United States Postal Service endorsed Biden 
Shocker. I read that last week. <laughs> Shocker. Yeah, so so we're going to mail in our ballots to a group that supports Biden, uh, number one. Number two is um, when uh, in our area we had a uh, Republican who actually took Katie Hill's spot. I don't know if you remember Katie Hill. Oh, yeah. Uh, fell, fell from grace. So uh, he, is, he took her spot. And when it started to get close, now th- keep in mind, this is during the first stay-at-home lockup when you could not do much. Our governor actually allowed a walk-in voter registration in the area of Lancaster, where it's highly Democratic for Democrats. And so why would you allow that when the, the Democrat is losing? Mm. Uh, because it shows that a lot of this is political in nature. Now, I don't know if they sit behind big desks and plan this stuff out. It's the prince of the, 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 the world, that the enemy behind a lot of what's moving but for sure, they don't want the churches meeting. They don't want the church. I mean, voter registration is a big deal. Ballot harvesting. You know, we, we've been equipped to, to harvest ballast, ballots or at least what that looks like, what to look for, how to go about doing that. So uh, and this, I believe that this is probably one of the biggest elections uh, of our lifetime, for sure, because yeah. of what is on the line. And, um, you know, praise God, he's still on the throne, but it, it sure makes you... Um, lose some sleep over it, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, 2016 looks so, I don't know, just tame compared to where we are right now, especially in 2020 with everything that's gone on thus far. You know, you you have had some good things to say recently, Shane. You preached a great sermon on the destabilization of America. I know you wrote about it. And you've got this new book, If My People in Case of National Emergency Read This. You talk a lot about the stress that everybody feels right now, the psychological warfare that you've said is going on, the goal being to elevate stress to the point of exhaustion and then fuel this fear so people lose hope and turn to an authoritarian government to protect them. I think that's exactly what's going on, but how would you advise Christians to think about it all at this moment? Well, it's a good good segue into what I was just going to say is that um, we've, you know, I've even heard of pastors saying, why don't we just vote for Biden and get this thing over with and give in? You know, why they're, they're feeling that exhaustion um, of what of what's going on. So that the book, if my people, actually came from a sermon series I preached during stay at home uh, order. If you can believe that, everyone was home. I was preaching to a camera, and the book actually came from that. So God used that um, to to strengthen people. So <clears throat> what I try to do in the book, it's really a short read, is to encourage people. This is not uncommon to Christianity. This is actually very common persecution. We've been blessed for many years. Yep. Uh, the early church and early Christians have experienced persecution and tribulation. And actually, these things can be a wonderful tool to push you closer to God, to, for that deeper relationship with God, to be more filled with the Spirit of God. So instead of, instead of people caving in under the pressure, we can actually be strengthened under the pressure. But what does that look like? And that's the whole point of the book. Be careful what we watch, who we listen to, the media. If my people humble themselves, a desperate need for humility and brokenness and seeking God's face, not his hand, but his face, and actually turning from our wicked ways and repenting and having a life of prayer where God becomes the priority, not being put on the, on the back burner. Yeah. That's really how you can, you can get through this whole. I, I feel stronger spiritually than I ever have. My marriage is strong. The church is strong. Uh, and so you can get through the struggle if you're 
holding on to the right source of strength. That's right. You know, Shane, I was thinking about the passages in Revelations, uh, Revelation 2 and 3, I should say chapters 2 and 3 in Revelation, where the Lord is talking to the seven churches. And his message to Ephesus popped into my head because here he commends the church because of its toil and its perseverance and its intolerance for evil men. But he says, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember what you have fallen from and repent and do the deeds that you did at first. And I thought a lot of times we'll talk about being the church at Laodicea, but I think we're also the church at Ephesus, leaving our first love. Life has been so relatively good for Americans for, I would say, throughout my entire lifetime and probably yours as well, Shane. What about revival, the need for revival and the power of God to change this country from the inside out? Because we know at root, the real problem is sin. The real problem is lost people. If we would get the fire of missions burning in our hearts as individual Christians, but beginning with that need for repentance, turning to the Lord once more, coming back to him in a fresh way, pleading for, you know, reformation and revival within our own hearts, then we could actually be a force that would be unstoppable. I mean, I'm reading Acts again, and I'm looking at what the early church did. Paul was incredible. He didn't care about anything that was going to be dangerous for him. He just pressed on for the cause of the gospel. And I thought maybe this could be a time where the Lord could raise up men like that out of times that are difficult. Have you given that a lot of thought in your ministry, just how the Lord may be turning us back to himself because we've forgotten him? Absolutely, Janet. You hit the nail on the head. And it's funny you mentioned that scripture because we see the Laodicea, we see the lukewarmness that's all around us. But my concern is so much pride and arrogance in the church. Yeah. That's what Jesus said. You, you can spot out evil. In other words, you've got sound doctrine. I mean, you're straight as a gun barrel theologically, but you're just as empty. You are dead of spiritual life. You do not have the living God inside of you in a powerful way uh, through the, the, the working of the Holy Spirit. And that only comes through full surrender and brokenness and humility. So I think a lot of the church that thinks they're good really uh, it's not good because they're very prideful and arrogant, and, and God is, is really breaking that pride and arrogance out of us. But, yes, I, I, I've been saying for years, our only, especially now, our only hope, be it without a shadow of a doubt, people need to be very clear on this, is not 2020. If Trump wins again, all hell could break loose. Hmm. There, there's no security in that. Our only hope right now is a mighty move of God's Spirit. And if you look at the conditions of, well, uh, of wells in the 1700s and revival broke out, you look at the condition uh, of the New Hebrides uh, Islands and even the first great awakening here in America, it, this is very common that, that a place gets to a, a low spot. And really, America isn't broken yet. She's fearful, but she's not humble. Uh, mm-hmm. She's scared, but she's not broken. Yeah. Uh, she's still worried about her 401ks and her insurance and how this is affecting my life, and now I can't go to a comfortable church with air conditioning and blah, 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 blah. God will use these things where the church finally breaks, and then I believe, I believe revival can be ushered in. And revival isn't something weird. It's simply God awakening His people. It, it means spiritual resuscitation. How mm-hmm. many people need that? Amen? Amen. <laughs> you know, to be renewed again, where you have a passion for Christ, a love for God's word, a love for worship and, and calling out sin and a love for holiness. And when God's people get to that point, that revival is right on the horizon. Now, I don't believe you can work it up, but God can bring it down. You, you, just like a farmer, you can't make the plant grow, but you can sure provide an environment for growth. 
Well, right. And this is a great opportunity for all of us to just stay on our knees and plead with the Lord to bring it about because it's kind of good when you get to a point where you say, there's nothing I can do, Lord, help. There's not, I mean, that's the best place to be. (laughs) I've been there since Monday in the governor's order. I've been there saying, Lord, there's, I don't know what you want me to do. I know we're not closing. I need direction. And I, I don't like where we're at. I don't like this. I don't like the environment our kids are going to grow up in, our grandkids. Or, you know, I'm just as frustrated at all this. But I, I've never seen a deeper work beginning in the hearts of people. We have 6 a.m. Sunday morning worship and prayer. More people are there. We started a Wednesday afternoon prayer meeting at 10 a.m. Now people are, I mean, dozens and dozens, people you normally wouldn't even see there. That's fantastic. Uh, so you see this this hunger, this brokenness. They've lost. See, now they can't trust in their finances because that's crumbling. The housing market, I believe, is just on the verge of teetering. Uh, 10% of all yep. homeowners are now delinquent. 10% of all homeowners in America. It's got to be the Lord. <laughs> yeah, Shane, it's got to be the Lord. Got to run. Shane Eilman, If My People, is his new book. Thanks a lot, Shane. We'll be back. This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. We are so grateful that so many of our great Janet Mefford Today listeners have stepped up to get Bibles into the hands of our brothers and sisters in Asia during this campaign on behalf of Bible League International. Each Bible costs $5. So for $35, you can send seven Bibles. A $100 gift will send 20. We're trying to get to that magic number of 1,200 Bibles for Asian Christians. So please help us if you can. You just have to call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com if you prefer the internet. But again, the toll-free number is 800-YES-WORD. We're going to talk for a few minutes now about why this Bible campaign is so important. Michael Woolworth, Senior Director of Broad Broadcast Media at Bible League International joins us. Michael, welcome. Great to talk to you again. Well, Jan, it's great to hop on for a few moments and uh, turn the hearts of your listeners to our brothers and sisters in Asia. Well, amen to that. Why would you tell listeners that this campaign for Bibles in Asia is so important? Well, you know, it, it, not many of us wake up, you know, thinking about places like the Philippines or China, India, Nepal, Sri Lanka, and the number of countries we've talked about in recent weeks. But, you know, it's here that Christianity is growing fastest in the world. Number two is Africa. Third is Latin America. It's not America. Our prayer is that that uh, turns uh, as quickly as possible. But it's in Asia, and it's here, Janet, uh, where watchdog groups will tell us that it is arguably the most difficult region of the world to live out your Christian faith. Think about what's in the news in terms of Christian persecution, extreme poverty. You know, the COVID-19 epidemic means that so many of these uh, brothers and sisters that live hand-to-mouth literally are starving. And so um, they're getting the help they need in, in regards to that. We're giving them exactly what they need in the other regard, and that's the spiritual nourishment that comes only from the Word of God. And and let me mention this, too, at Bible League. uh, We've worked in this part of the world for many, many years. In fact, it's here that Project Philip 
uh, finds its uh, origins uh, in the country of uh, the Philippines. And so we found that as few as one Christian in ten has a Bible. What's that mean? Ninety percent of the evangelical community cannot open God's Word on a daily basis like you and I can and read verses like First Peter 5, 7, where Peter writes, cast your cares on him. So we're doing something about it through this campaign that we're calling Fan the Flame Bibles for Asia. Boy, now when you say as few as one in ten Christians actually have a Bible, how many Christians are there in Asia, roughly? Well, there's millions. I don't have the exact number in, in hand. We, we certainly work with millions. We've worked with millions in the 80 years uh, that we've been uh, a ministry. And you don't always hear this. You're not going to pick up uh, you know, their, your, your morning paper, tune into your favorite cable news outlet, and find out that Buddhists and Muslims and Taoists and Confucianists are coming to faith in Christ in record numbers. That's why this record of radio time is so valuable, Janet. And again, we're doing something about that dearth of Bibles in places, again, that we've focused on in recent weeks, China, India, Sri Lanka, and Nepal. And again, we'll focus today on the country of Cambodia. Yeah, now let me remind listeners, it's only $5 to send one Bible, and we're trying to get to that number of 1,200 Bibles sent to Asia in order to get into the hands of these believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ on the other side of the world. You can call 800-YES-WORD if you'd like to donate, 800-YES-WORD. Michael Woolworth, tell me a little bit about what's going on in Cambodia. Well, let me tell you about Cambodia. I I visited this part of the world not too long ago. My late father was there during the Vietnam War. He was uh, deployed when I was literally just a few weeks old, my mom would tell me. And my dad would come back and tell me about, you know, life in the jungle, how hot it was. Uh, the, the, the local kids would throw snakes at the military men, you know, just trying to have fun with them. But it was everything that my dad said. And so I went there with, uh, you know, great expectation to see what God is doing in that part of the world. Now, you know Cambodia. It's a communist-run country. It's one of the poorest countries uh, in Asia. It certainly is. Um, it's in a hot place. Uh, the equator runs not far from this. Uh, certainly are snakes and all those sorts of things. But let me tell you about a man by the name of Alino. He's a pastor, uh, Janet, uh, in his 50s, serves outside of the capital city of Phnom Penh, and very sadly lost both parents to the Pol Pot regime. You know about the Pol Pot, the Khmer Rouge regime, Mm -hmm. the killing fields. I would say between uh, uh, about 1974, 1979, 2 million Cambodians lost their lives to the Pol Pot regime. Uh, One of the darkest chapters in modern history. Jana, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I do. Yeah, and again, sadly, this man, Alito, would lose both parents to the Khmer Rouge regime. In fact, several of his uh, relatives uh, were lost to that. Um, He and his wife also lost a son to uh, poor sanitation conditions there in remote Cambodia. So this clearly was a man that has known loss and pain and here was his problem. He lived with unforgiveness. He, he, had, he could not forgive the Pol Pot regime for what happened to his parents decades ago. And so he prayed a prayer. He prayed David's Psalm 51, what? Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. And he prayed that expectantly. Here's what happened. Church started to grow, because that was the other thing he prayed about, was growth in his evangelical church there. And I'm telling you, they're in limited number in a place like Cambodia, where 99% of the population follows Buddhism. But the church began to grow. He used Bible League materials. Project Philip, what is that? Christianity 101, the Gospel of John paired together in the Khmer language. He would have several groups going through this over about a 12-week period. Janet, I've been through this, and I can tell you, 
we feel that wherever it is in the world, when a Christian uh, completes this uh, Bible study, they're in a great place to begin their spiritual walk with Jesus. And so the church grew from 50 to 100, 200, 250, 500 people today. And when the dust settled, he found out that one of the new members was an 80-year-old man by the name of Daiku. Who was Daiku? It turns out that he was a bad man, Janet. He at one time was part of the Pol Pot regime. In fact, in 1996, a United Nations war crimes tribunal brought a lot of these people together. And because he had not killed anybody nor ordered the killing of anyone, he was granted amnesty. And this is the man who came to Christ during all of this flurry of spiritual activity. Hmm. And I can tell you, when these two met, Daiku said, I prayed the prayer of Psalm 51, that prayer of David, created me a clean heart, because he knew to that point his legacy was that he was one of the, part of one of the darkest regimes in modern history. And here was this Pastor Alino, a man who had prayed that prayer, right, created me a clean heart because he had harbored all that unforgiveness. So in that moment, forgiveness was sought. Forgiveness was graciously given. And again, I've met both of these men, Janet. They are true examples of, of peace, true shalom that comes. Who brings that kind of stuff? Only God. Only God. But wouldn't you know it that there in Cambodia, it is so difficult to get a Bible. The communist government does everything it can to stop the advance of the gospel. But that's why we're holding this campaign today. And I told these brothers in Christ, look, those Bibles you're needing, it's hundreds. I said they're on their way. Hmm. They're on their way. Well, what really stands out for me in that story is not only the incredible power of that narrative that you had, you know, a pastor who had suffered so greatly at the hands of the Pol Pot regime, losing his parents, praying for the Lord to, you know, create in him a clean heart and renew the spirit within him. But also, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, this former Pol Pot, you know, operator who is part of the church, but the power of the word of God. That, that praying the Psalms and praying what, what was written down for our benefit so many thousands of years later is proving why it's so important for these people to have Bibles so they can go to the scripture in times of great need. Yeah, you know, they leave Buddhism, they leave atheism, commun- they, all of those isms, right, with really a caricature of the Christian faith. There's so much information there. But when they find out that Jesus is the great lover of their soul, Janet they hungered to know him, not just about him, but to know him. And oh, to have a Bible, to open up every single day. I've seen some of those that receive Bibles in previous campaigns. Janet, those Bibles have been worked over. I mean, it, it leads me to shame. I, I remember sitting next to a, a sweet, dear lady. I guess she was probably 80 years old, very small in stature, and she had markings up and down the margins of her Bible. She had, she had pages earmarked down. It, it, it was very uh, obvious to me that she was a serious student of the Word. And again, that's the prayer for hundreds of Christians right now, representing maybe, what, 30% of what we're asking for with our goal is for the Word of God. Well, people can help by calling 800-YES-WORD. Again, we're trying to send 1,200 Bibles to Asia where the need is so great. And if you can help us, $5 is all it takes to purchase one Bible for a believer in need in Asia during this campaign with Bible League. Just call now 800-YES-WORD or there's a Bible League banner to click at Janet meffer.com. Michael Woolworth, always great to visit with you. Keep up the good work. God bless you, my friend. You too, Janet. Take care. All right. We'll be right back on Janet Meffer today.
Many people in developing nations have no access to desperately needed medical care. That's why Mercy Ships brings volunteers aboard our hospital ship, the Africa Mercy, to give the world's forgotten poor the free medical care they need. We have an immediate need for registered nurses, especially with a pediatric specialty. As a volunteer nurse, you won't just give life-altering health care, you'll receive so much in return. It's an amazingly rewarding experience. You'll give hope and make a difference in the lives of those who have virtually no access to medical aid. It's such a fantastic thing to do. Everybody who I've met on this ship either wants to come back and do it again or they're already here for the second, third, or tenth time. So what are you waiting for? Show mercy to someone today. I would say go for it. Get more information and learn how to apply by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. That's mercyships.org forward slash nurses. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Little update concerning the coronavirus church crackdown from Liberty Council. The Commonwealth of Virginia has now dropped the criminal charges against Pastor Kevin Wilson of Lighthouse Fellowship Church. As a result of Virginia Governor Northam's unconstitutional COVID Order 55, police served a summons to that pastor for holding a church service on Palm Sunday. Remember that? For 16 people spaced far apart in a sanctuary that's rated for 293 people. The penalty included up to a year in jail and a $2,500 fine. The General District Court for a comic County has now dropped the charges. So that's really good news. I have been very encouraged that with all of these Christian law firms going to bat for these churches, and it seems like in most cases, the churches do prevail. It's just a shame that you don't have people who are really advocating for churches who are in public office. This is what I keep saying coming away from all of these situations over and over. I said, why don't more Christians run for office? Why why don't more Christians run for office? Why don't more Christians become judges? Why don't more Christians get into the public sphere? Because we need you there. And it's a vacuum that is filled by leftism if we don't. So maybe somebody out there can be challenged by that. Here's something else. I got to get to this because this really bugs me. This really bugs me. When I was in college, I became very, very interested in missions. I did a number of short-term missionary trips. I spent, in fact, a couple of years being a short-term missionary in addition to doing some short-term trips term trips. And I really, really, really love missions. I love missions because that's what it's all about. If you're a Christian, by definition, you're a missionary no matter where you are. 
It is our job as Christians to share the gospel with our neighbors and our friends and get the good news out to people who are lost in their sin, people who are headed for hell. And that is the exciting thing about missions is to go into all the world as Jesus commanded us to do and to share the gospel. Well, this kind of says for me everything that needs to be said about my recent conclusions that as the woke church rises, the interest in missions goes down. And in fact, I have been saying that for a number of decades now with the rise of the church growth movement. If you're all concerned about making sure that your church is palatable to the average pagan, then you're going to put more and more church money into your sanctuary, making sure it's stripped of all Christian symbols and has comfortable seats and get that latte bar out in the sanctuary. And I'm not kicking anybody. I'm just saying I have seen this happen again and again and again. You have a lot of churches that spend a whole lot of money on themselves and are not as willing to sacrifice for the cause of world missions. Well, how else do you get the gospel to the world unless you're willing to support missionaries? So along comes this story from Barna, which does all this research. Young Christians value missions, but question its ethics. That's the headline. And they talk about COVID-19 radically changing the way international missions work is happening this year. The worldwide fight against the pandemic has caused a lot of summer trip cancellations and visa difficulties and social and financial hurdles for short-term and full-time missionaries. And many churches and organizations are now reimagining the practical aspects of global ministry. But even before the pandemic, other cultural shifts have demanded a new vision for missions. This is especially apparent when we focus our research, this is Barna, on millennials and Generation Z who are not totally convinced of missions urgency and efficacy. Why does that not surprise me? This is the same group of American Christians who believe that sharing the gospel with your neighbor is not very polite. Well, what have they been raised in? Have they been raised in churches that have emphasized evangelism and the sacrifice that it takes to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or have they have they largely been given this entertainment-driven Christianity that says, we're here to meet your needs. We're here to meet your needs. Nothing wrong with meeting your parishioners' needs, but we as the Church of Jesus Christ are also equipped with gifts and talents that the Lord has given to us. And we are to go out and to use those talents and those gifts for the benefit of the body of Christ first and also to reach the world. So the future of missions which is this new report from Barna, takes a closer look at what's keeping young Christians from wholeheartedly engaging with global ministry. So let's look at some of these statistics. Most engaged Christians' views of missions work are influenced by at least some exposure to real-life missionaries. Young adults between 18 and 34 are more likely than teens and older adults to say they personally know at least one missionary well. This fact accompanies a belief that overseas missions is important. A strong majority of engaged Christians in every generation says missionary work is very valuable. Statistically speaking, the three age cohorts are indistinguishable on this point. Now listen to this. Among Americans under the age of 35, black engaged Christians, I don't know exactly what that means. We'll just take it at face value. Black engaged Christians are more reluctant than the white majority to say they value missionaries work. Given the Euro-American church's historical entanglements with colonialism and African slavery and the growing cultural awareness of that legacy's ongoing impact, it's not surprising that young black Americans would express deeper ambivalence. Okay, can I just stop here and say, 
Do you really think if you took aside a lot of these people who are being surveyed on the issue of missions being all about colonialism and horror stories, that they would know anything about the, the history of missions? Would any of these people even know who William Carey was or Eric Little or somebody like Hudson Taylor or Helen Rosevier, any of these people, modern or way back when? Do they even know who these missionaries were, what they did, what they sacrificed, what their passion was? And more than that, what they contributed, what they contributed to the world by their sacrifice and getting the gospel to people who hadn't heard it? So listen to this. Young adult Christians wrestle more than other age groups with missions past. Although there are many examples of the transformative value of missionary work around the world, there are also aspects of its history and sometimes its present that are difficult or even impossible to defend. Like what? Anyone who dreams and plans for the missionary future must grapple with these realities, which are what? Overall engaged church-going Christians, 18 to 34, appear to be more concerned than older adults with problematic aspects of the past. It's worth mentioning here that in Barna's experience, teen responses often look like their parents. When they move into young adulthood, however, their views start to diverge more from previous generations as they form their own opinions. Listen to this. One third of young adult Christians, 34%, agree that in the past, missions work has been unethical. Got it? Compared to one in four adults, 35 and older. Two in five, this is 42%, 42% agree that Christian mission is tainted by its association with colonialism. What are you talking about? Look, I'm not an expert in every single story of every single missionary who's ever hit a foreign country's soil and did this, that, or the other thing. But that is ridiculous. And it speaks more to the woke culture where you go back in the past and anything that actually overall was really, really good is being demonized by the left and is being demonized by the Howard Zinn view of history that is foisted upon so many young people in this country. And they're coming away thinking ill of something that actually was tremendous. That's what they're doing every single day with the history of the United States. Not that we didn't have any problems, not that we didn't have any sins as a nation. We certainly did, but we fought a civil war to end slavery. We passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and yet you have people out in the streets screaming, white supremacy, white supremacy. Where have anybody, let me say it this way, name another country on the entire planet that has offered more freedom and more opportunity to anybody of any race than the United States of America. I mean, these these kids need to be challenged. So this is the mindset of a lot of this generation. But again, I, I look at, you know, just the ignorance. And I, I don't say that in a bad way. To be ignorant doesn't necessarily mean that you're not smart. It just means that you don't know. And when we're in a generation that is more about smartphones and social media than it is about sitting down and reading actual history books, there is no surprise then that a lot of these younger Christians don't know much of anything. They don't know the history of foreign missions. I would say probably most adults in the church today don't know a lot of history about foreign missions. You really have to go looking for it, but you should at least know the basics and some of the big names in missions. I mean, you think about William Carey for a minute here. Converted working as a blacksmith's apprentice as a teenager, baptized by a Baptist pastor, and he went on to do 
all kinds of incredible work in India. Kerry had come to believe, this is from the IMB website, that the Great Commission was a binding command on every generation of Christians. He published his treatise and inquiry in the obligations of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathens. And it was a manifesto calling upon the particular Baptist to engage in foreign missions. He arrived in 1793 with his wife and son in the British colony of India. He did incredible work there. He did incredible work with translating the Bible. His great gift was linguistics. He translated the Bible and various other works into Bengali and several other dialects. He's a hero of the faith. And we need more heroes of the faith because there are still those who are lost who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. We need younger Christians to get excited about sharing Christ around the world or we may end up being the nation that needs missionaries. Boy, that is a scary thought. We've already got them from the global south. We need a revival, don't we? Keep praying for it. Thanks for being with us on Janet Meffer today and we'll see you next time. 